0: Good day to you all, my fellow bootleggers. You're currently listening to Episode 6 of Bootlegger's Podcast on Bootlegger's Broadcast, your home of sounds from the speakeasy. I'm your host, Mike Lynn, and I'm here to talk about all the milestones of Bootlegger's Broadcast, now with some friends, independent musicians, and more. On this episode, I'll be talking about progressive jazz music that shaped post-war America and forward, featuring a former milkshake parlor owner of the Sweet Spot Milkshakes and jazz enthusiast, Mason. Mason. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast.
1: It's good to be here. I'm excited. I've been listening to this. I've been an avid fan of Bootleggers broadcast since before it was created.
0: Well, as you know, Bootleggers podcast just took a dynamic shift because now we are no longer doing uh, the radio station. This is the first Mm -hmm. podcast that we've done since this change. Um, If it's okay with you, I just want to talk about that a little bit and like why I decided to like progress away from that
1: yeah go ahead please i'm gonna sit here and eat some popcorn tell me i love the story of mike lynn
0: (laughs) i appreciate you mason so usually we have adam on the show but this time i felt that it was important to get um 1940s and 1950s enthusiast mason the former owner of the sweet spot milkshakes to talk about this stuff because this is all your forte this is this is everything that you enjoy and I feel like you're the right person to talk about all this stuff. Yeah. Bootlegger's broadcast, the radio station, started in May of 2020. And it was the radio station, which you had originally given me the inspiration to start this idea with a couple of different radio stations that you had uh, shown me, um, such as the Seaberg 1000 radio station and uh, Racketeer Radio. And I felt that it would be really interesting if I combined all of these in a, in a central area and for a while, it was pretty good. And then uh, the platform that I was using was a, a little bit wonky here and there, which is fine. And then I realized that I was spending $720 a year um, to, to keep it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Mike. Spotify yeah. is practically free compared to it, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. And um, I also learned that in order to broadcast, you need to have a DCMA license, which, if I recall correctly, it is $300 to pay for that license, but you have to stream everything yourself through um, like Icecast or or something to that effect, which isn't a big deal if you just have a computer running and doing that. But you you get to choose more of what's going on. You have to do all the technical work. So all of that was a bit of an issue. And there was a one segment that I was doing for a while called The Student Solution where I was featuring independent artists. Yeah. And um things like that of different genres of music, which was I thought was cool, but it didn't really fit with what we were doing. And so like some of like those artists people would only listen into that six to nine time slot if they were there for those independent musicians. Mm-hmm. Because like all the rest of the programming had nothing to do with it. So, with all of those things combined, I eventually just kind of lost interest into the that side of it, but I still felt that it was a necessary thing to keep the the podcast running and and to share all of the music so you can definitely check out the playlist whenever you feel like, and it's all those music like you know whenever you want to stream it
1: yeah i <laughs> To be honest, I'm kind of a huge fan of having it on Spotify rather than Live 365 uh, because I don't have to, you know. Sometimes I tune in and it's like, oh, I'm not really feeling Unbroken Circle right now. Or even sometimes (laughs) I tune in, and you know, uh, one of my favorite playlists. I think the one that you credited with me uh, for helping create or giving you the the push to create or the motivation to create um was the Seabird playlist and I'm like that's only every day from you know 5 to 6 a.m it's like but now on Spotify I you have all the playlists I can go listen to you know everything whenever I want and we were just you
0: yeah, know I really good
1: we were just talking about this too I think the move to Spotify is great not only for your financial <laughs> reasons um but also from a listener perspective because um, it gives, I think, the listener a chance to kind of explore different types of genres of music. You know, I, we were talking about you and how you're a big country Western fan, especially from the 40s and 50s and 60s. And, you know, I'm not so much. I love that music, but I'm actually starting to get into that music more. And a reason why is because I have access to the playlist whenever I want. Um, so I'm definitely furthering my Glenn Campbell and Johnny Cash interest and, you know, will continue to do so. And on Live 365, while, yeah, it functions more like a traditional radio station, you know, Spotify has been proven to be the way of the future. And a large part mm-hmm. of the reason why is that accessibility for the listeners. And I think, as I was going to say earlier, um, I think it's wonderful that you're doing the podcast as part of your broadcasting. Um, because it still helps you be a broadcaster on Spotify, um, gives you something to produce, and also, you know, I think it's cool to have a little bit of both music and radio and talk show. And you can even further down when you want to feature playlist or whatever, you can, you know, mention them on the, as we already have been doing on the podcast. So you have that listener engagement.
0: I think that this is more so the kind of broadcast that people want to hear is, is more so the, the talk show and listening to music whenever they feel like it, not for nothing, but I've been listening to the, uh, Nights of Noir said so, more so than any other, but I mean that's
1: i always had on your like Spotify activity.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I would stay up to listen to it. It was like three to five in the morning, but and I always liked working at nighttime. But still, sometimes I'm like, you know, <laughs> I don't want to stay up. Of, that it's way. a day of Noir. Yeah, it's yeah. Now it's the days of Noir, so I can just listen yeah. to it whenever.
1: Yeah, I, I would wait. Uh, I, I just finished my first year of law school for, you know, just for intensive purposes for the audience. But, um, you know, I'd wake up at three in the morning sometimes and be able to catch the last hour, hour of Nights of Norn. It's like, this is perfect. Like, but you're right. Now I don't have to be up at three in the morning to listen to it. I can listen to it on my commute to work if I want to.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is advantageous, I feel. And you can also, just by going through all the playlists, you can see who is listening and who's liking it and which one is working the best i um i used to have a, a set like this on my personal page and i found that my country music set like i unfortunately just cleared all of them but like um just to move everything over to this side of things but i had like 150 people liking the country music set that i had just random people on spotify that i never knew mhm which is I mean that's good if i if I was to redo the radio station, then I would emphasize I would probably end up creating like two separate radio stations, one emphasizing on jazz and stuff and the other one emphasizing on country.
1: I know Mike, I'm just hearing you listen to that, I'm just like this is crazy, like you're literally innovating Spotify, like granted, I'm not on Spotify all the time, <laughs> or I haven't searched every little corner, which is impossible to do, but from what i know and what i've experienced spotify to be as is like you know you're literally innovating it to be like one of the first radio stations on spotify it's like imagine imagine looking a year from now after you've done this move and seeing not just 150 people liking one of your playlists but like 500 for every playlist you know that would be crazy people listening to your like the spot spotify wasn't really built for radio stations but you're finding a way to like you just have everything. You have all kinds of different tastes of music, and you have a going radio show, which is, you know, I think that's that's Spotify's version of a radio station.
0: I think it's if terrific. you were to do it, this would be the way of doing it. Exactly, like to have such a hodgepodge of different musical genres all in the same place, it would probably be ideal to work it through like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the um, way you brand it too. I, I was telling you yeah. before, you know, we, we started recording that I've, I've never seen somebody really just hit the nail on the head on the, the way something needs to appear or look aesthetic-wise. Um, like, some ice cream shop should definitely should definitely get your number, man. You know, they, they should hire you to build stuff or paint I stuff would... or by the way things should look. Like, you I've never seen, oh, a, a, you just take something so simple but have the right aesthetic for it. And one of, the, one of the ways that I see that is your album covers that you have for all the playlists. Like Not many people know that, but you made those yourself and yeah. this is right for everything.
0: Those were really fun to make. Some of it was um, blending assets together. Um, there's this one that I just made called uh, The Cowboys Comeback, which is supposed to be about like um, country music like right now that's making kind of a shift back to Outlaw Country. And it's um, a cowboy riding on a horse, but he's holding a mandolin up in the air. And I thought that was a good combination of ideas. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's, it's as easy as that. Just take two little things that um, kind of work together. And the color palettes, too. Sometimes it's as easy as just finding two colors that work well together to convey that theme.
1: Yeah, so I think that's just one more thing I wanted to say about Bootleggers Broadcast and what you've done really well, and why I think it's going to—I don't know where it's going to go from here, but you know,
0: up. I, I hope. think <laughs> Yeah,
1: I, I see it going up, um, but you know, you've really nailed the theming, and I think that makes it just one. What are the words I want to say? One like organized. I guess I organized one organized place to enjoy a little bit of everything. You know, it's, because Spotify for the, you even mentioned, you know, that like how you had 150 people like your individual playlist, like, sometimes it's hard to get the right theme, you know, and mm-hmm. this all kind of goes where I think where music and radio is going right now, and is going to be in the future, it's going to be less about top 100 songs and more about, can I get the right song for the right mood? And yeah. you're already ahead of the curve on that with bootleggers and what everything you've done with this this is just your hobby this isn't even your job man no
0: it isn't it's it's literally just a, a passion project it took like a somewhere in the ballpark of like a week or to two weeks just to copy everything over straight from the radio station onto spotify but i feel like that was even though it was tedious work and it took so long to do i feel like that transition um was probably the most beneficial one
1: so yes yeah, now you can download short. some of them too yeah, yeah, for sure. So I can listen um
0: even if we don't have Wi Fi you know,
1: in the Grand Canyon, you know?
0: <laughs> you want. could. You really could. <laughs> um
1: yeah, I, another thing is, you know, one of the questions I had for you, are you ever gonna be updating these playlists? You know, that's one of the questions I've been having. I'm like, Yeah, you know.
0: Absolutely. I
1: he has everything here and I'm exploring it all, but you know, how will you be updating them and you know, will you?
0: Sometimes I we'll be listening to um, a a radio station or um, one of the things you can do actually is if you go to these albums and you just burn through all of the songs, or you can even just go to a radio that has like related music to these genres. Sometimes I'll forget something and I'll go like, wait, what, how, how can I forget this? There was, that happened on one of my, playlist the other day and i forgot which one it was but i think it was one of the 50s music ones and i was like how how could i blaspheme like this it was like a buddy holly song that i forgot or something and i I just go back and fix it up a little bit
1: yeah so yeah i think if you keep updating them as you go you know not to sure to make sure that they don't lose their identity you know yeah they'll keep people coming and like i said i think this podcast this radio talk show will have people coming back too. But yeah, long story short, everybody is listening. Anything you need from the twentieth century and you know beyond now with the student solution. It's all yeah. on Bootleggers broadcast. I was on, updating on those. Spotify.
0: I was updating those for a while too. I think um actually now that I mention it, one of the things that I used to do that was really fun was on Instagram exclusively. I was it was only the the only platform that I really could have done it successfully on because Frankly, I was working with three different tiers of uh, audiences across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. But on Instagram, uh, every Friday, I was doing a video update called Fireside Chat Fridays where I would uh, talk for about a minute just about like updates for the radio station. And uh, after a while, it went from genuinely interesting updates into... Okay, guys, I updated this genre of music. okay, See you next week bye. like basically, and I that was bothering me that I wasn't doing anything exciting for the radio station.
1: and you feel like um, that's that's changed now a little yeah. bit
0: yeah, I, I feel a lot better now that it's all on streaming services because now I it's kind of like you go into Menchie's and you get your sample of uh, whatever frozen yogurt whenever you want.
1: <laughs> yeah and long story short i think that's a good way to put what i was trying to describe earlier it's every time i open up or go to your account on spotify it's just like i'm inside an ice cream store and i could have some of this and i could have some of this so it definitely makes it much more accessible and yeah. that's only going to benefit the this whole thing that we're doing together you know in the in the long run
0: yeah absolutely I have big orders of business when I, uh, when I had invited you onto this program and I was thinking about 1940s jazz. I was thinking about the evolution of that. And the, I think one of the reasons I, I was thinking about this is because like two podcasts or three podcasts ago, there was a footnote that I hit with Adam and apparently one of the things that are making a comeback right now is jazz music when it comes to, I guess I believe what's happening is because of like social justice, um, especially for like African-American communities, jazz roots are starting to become recognized front and center again, because that was a really powerful movement a hundred years ago, Harlem Renaissance, paving the way into jazz music and therefore just about everything that we have today. So I don't know if that's.
1: And also, and also Dixieland too, you know, mm-hmm. that was the start of jazz too. Yeah. You know, in the South, You're There's right. the African American, you know, music way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from Dixieland, you had everything cascade into just jazz exploded. And I think that's one of the first things I want to make clear. You know, jazz is distinctly American. Um, Very. You can trace orchestral music back to Europe, you know, even though that there's been great American symphonies written all up and down the 20th century, like Elmer Bernstein and, you know, stuff like that, um, and Aaron Copeland. But the thing about jazz is it's distinctly American. And what jazz did for... American rock and roll and rock and roll in general. And I just think that it's just, it's such a diverse uh, topic in general too. That I think the diversity is what attracts people to it also, or should be attracting people to it also, because while I love the type of jazz we're going to be talking about today, (laughs) equally that I hold equally esteemed in my listening habits is jazz fusion from like the seventies, eighties and nineties of all these like experimental sounds still jazz, but, it sounds extremely different uh, than what we're listening to, but it's still jazz. It's all, it all kind of started from, as you mentioned, the Harlem Renaissance, yeah. even before we got to big bands, and Dixieland even before that, Dixieland jazz, you know, in Louisiana and New Orleans. So, And also I want to mention one more thing. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned it earlier. I'm just thinking, like, what major movie came out last December? Pixar Soul, um, that featured...
0: I would Jazz. imagine like the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Yeah. Like in DuPont, yeah. like why you would have like an all-black cast, for instance. Like you, when it comes to film especially, you want to hit the kairos of the perfect timing to make a statement. And I think that's most likely why they would do it at that specific point. And
1: Can you finished because... my thought exactly.
0: Oh, oh sorry. I, I... no no no
1: no, you're good. No, I mean that is a good thing. I'm excited. It shows we're on the same page and it's excited because I'm excited because even before you begin, you know, talking about forties and fifties jazz, it's like it's all kind of coming back full circle right now yeah. as we're talking about it.
0: In the the turn of the twentieth century, when we get into for example, the Harlem Renaissance and everything. We we have to go back a little bit, and you know, you have like your ragtime music, your your boogie music, and things like that. And what's interesting is that the the uh, minstrel shows of the end of the nineteenth century into the twentieth century, obviously, it it started with an all white. Cast wearing blackface, using like derogatory examples of uh, you know African American people, but eventually with time, minstrels became uh, black, like actual black cast members, and that was like the way for um, black people to take their way into leading roles on theater, and started to really have their their voices heard on stage and in in shows and and things like that. So we start to we're starting to see all of these themes in that turn of the 20th century all at the same time as the Harlem Renaissance and and ragtime, you know, Scott Joplin taking over with um all of those rags that he was putting together. All these musical uh genres all popping up at the same time.
1: That's ultimately where jazz gets its beginning, you know, people. <laughs> You know, it's funny how we're in 2021, a lot of memes circulating. We're like about the roaring 20s and we're back in the roaring 20s. It's like, there's like a meme. It's like, like time to be a flapper now and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Like, you know, I think even as we're living in the 20s, people are looking to 100 years ago. And you're seeing some of that stuff resurface also. Mm-hmm. But I think the most important distinction or thing that we talked about was, I think, the the investigation of... um you know, African-Americans and their, their, their overwhelmingly great contributions to American culture. Like, I really hope that it continues to the point that we're not... The jazz and their contributions in the 20th century, where a lot of civil rights, you know, went down, uh, civil rights movements went down for good change. Like, I hope the, the mm-hmm. cultural contributions aren't overlooked. And I think the first stop for everybody it's going to look at African-American cultural contributions, you know, not just civil rights or stuff like that it should look at jazz. And absolutely. I love, it. I love to see it everywhere. It's, it's downtown. You see Los Angeles is having a, in Fort Lardo here, we're having, you know, jazz brunch. Um, Like I mentioned, Pixar soul, like it really came out at the perfect time. I don't know how long they were working on that movie, but they released it at the perfect time um, last year. So I definitely think with the awareness of, you know, African American culture and their cultural contributions. You're yeah. starting to see a lot more jazz, and even lately, I've seen more jazz artists on Spotify. Like I've come across a few albums from 2020, 2021. It's like, hey, this is bebop jazz, but it was actually made last year. You know? Yeah. So that's encouraging to see too.
0: It is. When you think about all of those, the the tone of what it was like during the 1920s in America, part of it was. I guess you could say even like a hint of controversial because of how we started to see integration of uh, black and white people in places like the Savoy theater and the cotton club and everybody's frequenting and, and celebrating all of these artists in this whole cultural movement and, and everybody's letting loose and wearing for them, for those times like risque clothes and, and, you know, drinking alcohol and, a, predominantly dry time. Even in the country music front, we started to see integration of musicians, and there would be some bands that would not be allowed to play in the Deep South because it was a mixed venue. You would have black and white people playing at the same time. What I'm talking about is like you would have people like Louis Armstrong and uh, Jimmy Rogers, for instance, You know, you had all these famous musicians that were just getting their feet wet into the mainstream. And I think that's really the beginning of when we started to see integration and therefore jazz getting its roots into pop culture. Yeah. Plus at this time, now you can record it too because it's on the gramophone. It's on the 78 Shellac records and people can play it in their homes and wind it up and listen to uh, singles, one on each side.
1: For so many people i guess people of our current generation you'll say like you'll you'll maybe play like an old jazz record like glenn miller or a louis armstrong record or maybe even a charlie parker john coltrane record and people mm-hmm. like that's so classy that's so fine um like that's old people music but the pro the problem is is like you t- you're take you're painting the historical context you go back to that time these people weren't sometimes well-liked jazz music was not well-liked you know no um it's it's very similar to when rock and roll came on the scene in the 50s and people were, your playlist is appropriately named you know all that racket because parents didn't like what they were hearing you know no. why don't you listen to, to jazz like because it's where this come from it's different it's new and jazz was that you know i want to make that clear like it wasn't always old it wasn't always your grandpa's music it these people were fighting a lot and they were just doing it through playing their music so the integration that you mentioned it didn't come easy is a good way to put it
0: it wasn't quick
1: it wasn't quick it wasn't easy and these people were the pop stars of their time Louis armstrong was the pop star of his time and he had a lot you know trouble getting started for Um, sure charlie parker somebody who was who i wanted to talk about today you know as we get down the road charlie parker I did not have a good time getting started. But he's the one who everybody looks back and points their finger to and says we're he's the reason why we have Bebop Jazz, you know. Yeah. Him and Miles Davis ha- made it happen. Um
0: It's all these guys usually were accompanist at first, like they were part of a big band before they became leaders themselves. And I think that's a very important thing to note. Yeah. Also at the same time with the emergence of radio stations and record stores, you had, I mean, segregation was here too. And you would have, um, black radio stations and white radio stations. And you could only listen to one or the other, but I mean, how do you control that over the airwaves? The answer is you don't. And so (laughs) it's going to be like,
1: I just learned something new. I didn't know that they had segregated. Wow. Yeah. I just learned something new.
0: And so, they were listening to each other's music, especially in the fifties, and so that's why I like rock and roll records and uh, you know therefore jazz music had mixed appreciation, and it was, uh, I mean this I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. This is definitely like post war type of thing, but um, yeah the that that was a thing. Interesting enough.
1: So, you know we've talked about. The integration, and I think, you know, jazz music when it came on the scene in the 20s, ragtime Mm -hmm. music, um, Dixieland jazz, Louis Armstrong, um, and so forth. It was not peaceful. It was kind of chaotic, and, you know, such as jazz. And then we get into the 1930s, and something happens. Like, we start developing this big band where I think jazz and swing music styles – Kind of became more accepted when it was merged with a bigger orchestra, and you know we're coming to to Glenn Miller, who's one of my favorite all time jazz artists, you know, and his big band style of music, um, and Tommy Dorsey as well. Um, yeah. You know, it was is a little more mellow, but it still finds its roots into this this you know this jazz feel, this this uh, emphasis on the second downbeat and the fourth downbeat.
0: I would also argue that because we're in the thirties, right? Great depression just happens. And now people are feeling absolutely miserable. I think that we took blues roots, which again, like you were saying three, four and four, four time measure, same thing and 12 bar blues. And just kind of like spinning off of that and combining that with the Harlem Renaissance gave us the, the initial birth of this genre of music, especially through artists like uh, Duke Ellington, Cab Calloway, um, artists artists like that, Again, then, yeah. then you start to see like, I mean, th- these are melancholy type of songs, right? Like Moon mm-hmm. to Go, for example, mm-hmm. or like uh, if we want to talk like Bing Crosby and the crooners, like, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? These are Great Depression songs that really emphasize the the tone. And slowly we start to see a little, with the relief programs and the fireside chats from uh, FDR, we start to see a little bit of hope. And I think this is where big band music starts to become gradually more and more uplifting.
1: I think that's 30s. a great way of putting it. I've never thought of it like that before. Obviously, I've, you know, thought different moods when listening to songs, but you put it together big picture, you know, the 30,000 feet view, you know, <laughs> kind of almost as an explanation of how we got from this almost chaotic style, ragtime excitement in the roaring 20s um, to, you know, why kind of things melt out. It's probably in large part because of this is the nation expressing of how it felt in the Great Depression,
0: even into the forties. Like right around, conveniently, right around the time that we started going to war in World War II. Not only did you get music that reflected war themes, but you started getting those those horns and the brass section and the woodwinds that are often associated with bands that would play in armies and, and things like that during that time.
1: The war changed everything. You know, it really another did. Note of, another note about uh, Glenn Miller. You know, he. So we talked about Louis Armstrong being the being you know the pop star of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn Miller was the pop star of his time, like Absolutely. the pop star. And he he had you know he went to war, um, and he lost his life over there. His plane disappeared, and they were never able to find him.
0: Yeah, Al Bully... Also uh, disintegrated like right around the beginning of World War II. His house was really? bombed. Yeah. Wow. And so he, he unfortunately perished. And they say that if there was an alternate reality where he never died, he would have been just as well renowned as uh, Glenn Miller and all of them. But unfortunately, we only have a handful of his songs like Midnight, the Stars, and New Heartaches and things like yeah. that. You
1: know, just more to the point that the war really changed everything and i think the war took a lot it took everybody's attention and you know this is where we're starting to get into bebop jazz yeah the war demanded everybody's attention and we actually lost like we just mentioned culture you know the, the top artists of the previous decade of the 30s and the war you know can you imagine if war breaks out today god forbid can you imagine the pop icons going to go you know do their stuff wherever the war is you know Granted, Glenn Miller wasn't on the front lines. He was leading his band for the Airmen, but he still was over there. He still was, you know, in uniform and lost his life. But, no. um, you know, can you imagine that happening? It, it demanded everybody's attention, even the cultural pop stars. The interesting thing about Charlie Parker is he wasn't, you know, during this time, he was just starting out. And that's why we don't know too much about where bebop jazz came from. We don't have recordings of what bebop jazz first was know because it was charlie parker was still starting to develop this during the world war ii in you know 42 43 44 and it wasn't until like 1945 i think or 46 where him and miles davis got together and really started recording and then from there it took off and then you kind of have this flow back to the 1920s where their music was different from this mellow melancholy stuff that we've been listening to during the 30s and the war you have this Fast-paced, rapid, blue note, bebop, jazz—that's you know different, and it's chaotic again. And people are like, "What is this? What, this is different. This is new. This is too fast." You know? Yeah.
0: Really, post any war, you get a couple of movements at the same time. You not only get musical movements, you get artistic movements and theatrical movements. So, like um, after World War One in Germany. You had things like the um, this thing German Expressionism, and this was like their way of of dealing with the horrors of of post war. This and so like all of their themes are like nightmarish and in like a hellscape. Um, by stark contrast, post World War II, you had this beautiful, like flourishing culture. That came as a result of winning the war and getting out of the Great Depression and making money and everybody's wanting to start a family and start anew. And so with that, you get bebop, progressive jazz, and even light orchestral. But at the same time, you even get artistic movements. Like um, we can talk like Dadaism the the beatniks and and poets and and surrealist and and realism and all of these different artistic movements that came at the same time it was it was a unique slice of life when we think 1950s americana we're not really thinking art deco anymore we're thinking norman rockwell we're thinking realism and we're thinking a little bit of experimental stuff one can say that like yes after World War II there, there was you know drug use and so now you you start seeing a little bit of hints of that in music but I don't I don't think that's the primary source of everything. I think that when it came to progressive jazz, I think that was just the natural way to take it. You could only take it in lounge jazz. Because Beatniks and the and that was the counterculture of what made jazz air quotes cool. And alternatively, you made it into a more serious and demanding form of jazz to make it fresh. And combining other cultures like uh, Blue Rondo a la Turk. That's Dave Brubeck, right? Like seven, eight yeah, times. Dave
1: Brubeck. I think that whole album. Timeout is the name of that album. That's right. I actually have it on my desk right here. Yeah, there's time out um but yeah he made an album where it was or at least a lot of his songs the brought in cultures from around the world Yeah. and like i'm looking at that and i'm like it's crazy like you know thinking about the cultural time period like america's had this jazz thing going on for a few decades now it's developed it's changed sounds and styles a lot but now you have dave brubeck bringing in all these different cultures and blending of jazz, you know, he went on a tour around uh, India and, um, and other parts of Asia Mm -hmm. to kind of, uh, and even Europe to incorporate some European styles into his jazz for a few albums. And it's like, this is, you know, again, it's, it's, I want to say exploding, like it's an explosion of culture. Yeah. You know, I think you could say that about the twenties, as we talked about, And you could say that about this post-war period. Like, immediately, it's an explosion of culture. You have just so much development, so so many new ideas. Again, I want to remind it, like, you know, it's probably a little chaotic, too. Yeah. That's why you have so much pushback.
0: You know what's funny is Germany had a jazz renaissance immediately after World War II. They had, like, a big, big band uh, movement right after the war. Hmm. That's and cool. I think that goes to show you that, like, Germany was pretty Americanized, like, and very heavily influenced after, you know, being liberated out of what was then Nazi Germany.
1: Some of the best jazz bands in the world are Japanese. Yeah. Um. And that's America, you know, it comes from, you know, America's occupation after the war.
0: Yeah. And like that shift from imperialist Japan into the alliance between... Japan and the United States after World War II.
1: Yeah, uh, they love Disney because of America. They love baseball because of America.
0: We have a really it's good relationship with Japan, actually, after the Second World War.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of culture.
0: We love their stuff. They love our stuff. They. What's really interesting is like the modern American, like you know how modern Americans really like Japanese cars, they really love American muscle and basically vice versa. We we love, you know, their music and, and art and things like that. And they're equally passionate about stuff that we have.
1: Isn't that crazy how it came out of a war between nations?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. And um even in Germany, like if if we're gonna talk like classic rock and everything they started doing covers of american music and so they just took like all american top hits from the 60s and translated them so that's why sometimes you'll see like beatles records re-recorded and translated in german hmm. and they did that for just about everything in the 60s it,
1: just, it wasn't the beatles that performed it no right? it was the it was it what really yeah they performed it in german
0: yeah they i mean i don't know if it's good or not <laughs> i don't speak german
1: that wasn't well. a cover band
0: yeah no some of them were cover bands most of them were covered bands but i i think the beatles were just that big that they could afford to do it or something
1: crazy i'm just thinking how did they have the time for that <laughs> i
0: have no idea the the beatles were they they had to be stressed out all the time in the 60s yeah that's a different story um
1: that's a different podcast there.
0: Very much. Very much. We could really talk about the Beatles all in one podcast and that'd be a
1: whole it's thing. Just what the Beatles did. Exactly.
0: Literally. They, there's so much. You ever think about like, we t- we're talking right now about like 40s progressive jazz music after the war. I want to talk about one album in particular that I think is extremely important. There was a Kerner that used to exist. Um, that worked with Tommy Dorsey and he emerged to be very important all on his own. This is Frank Sinatra. He released an album as he was going through a really heated divorce called in the wee small hours of the morning on this record. This is at the very initial shift from 78 shellac records into vinyl records, you know, on 33 and uh, 45 singles. Originally the, 33s were 10 inches. And Frank felt that this record was so important that it had to be as long as the standard orchestral record, which is 12 inches. And so because of that album, all albums have been 12 inches big from that point forward. So that's important. That's that's a really important thing to note is that now we're starting to hear music not only in better quality but in a streamlined size and precedent and and albums are taken very seriously and now jazz is taken not just as like some thing that you put on the background for fun like jazz is serious now
1: that's an interesting take jazz is serious now yeah you no know, i definitely see that i i see that in some jazz artists a lot of them went to you know juilliard or you know schools some of them finished, some of them didn't finish. You know, school, they dropped out. You see that, I think, in jazz in general, where albums are looked at not just as one song, but it's the whole collective album. Like, one of my favorite John Coltrane albums is A Love Supreme. Mm-hmm. Like, that album just, you know, knocks me out. Like, it's just all, like, one prayer almost. You know, you could feel the emotion, you could feel the intensity uh, with the different songs, and it, uh, you know, all ends with psalm. It tells one story without oh, that's not true. They do say some words. There's some vocals in the in the first song I love supreme, but most you know, it's all instrumental jazz. You so, got
0: some you singers know. in there here and there, like um Duke Ellington and Chet Baker. Yeah. Handful of yeah, these Chet guys. Baker. And um even on occasion, um Mr. Mr. Peanuts
1: Oh Vince, Vince Giraldi yeah. Yeah, I wanted to mention him too.
0: He's important. I feel
1: he—you know, he had such an interesting career. Um, I was reading a little bit up on him.
0: He died and, young too.
1: Yeah, a lot of them did. Unfortunately, like Dave Brubeck is—you know—one of the few that actually lived well and you know lived his full life. Yeah, which is really sad because you know a lot of them did. You know, it's cliche, but it shouldn't be taken cliche. A lot of them did have drug problems. They did. Bill Evans, um, Charlie Parker, Miles Davis had Coltrane. problems too exactly john coltrane you yeah. know it's and you know to their point it just it's how special because they did so much with just so much so short of their life like it shows you the significance of what they were doing
0: they push themselves to the straight like bare bone limit that the they human body can do
1: 13 15 hours a day and that's why i think uh you know i wanted to touch on jazz improvisation because that really that's one of the biggest things that makes a difference from 40s jazz and progressive jazz from 30s jazz and even 20s jazz is jazz improvisation where you had these saxophonists and these trumpet players and these piano players all all of what we just mentioned they go on you know eight minute solos and it's all in their head they're not reading sheet music not Mm -hmm. like a big band it's all in their head and they, you, know, you can even slow down Charlie Parker's or John Coltrane's or Miles Davis's solos where they're playing these crazy riffs that you can't even hear every note, but you slow it down to where you can hear every note, and every note is correct musically. Yeah, I don't even know how we got to talking about this, but I think that's just one point, too. And Vince Graldi's really good at it, too, to kind of bring it full circle, is that that's what really sets, I think, progressive jazz apart from what was before it, any predecessor. It's brand new jazz improvisation. Because that really paves the way, I think, for the musical genres of the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. You know, going back to our 1920s discussion, kind of how we get all this culture from a little bit of chaos. You know, I think that was jazz improvisation to the music scene. You get a little bit of not exactly traditional style, but jazz improvisation that, you know, it adds culture. It 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 progress you know, we're saying it's progressive jazz because it is progressive jazz. It it progresses uh the way people think about music and what they're listening to, to whatever the next stage was, and that was rock and roll.
0: Yeah. The um the jazz music people of this day, like you were saying, they were doing a lot of like improv improvisation on top of their music. And I think that um Miles Davis talking to Herbie Hancock says this pretty well. He says, Don't play the butter notes. Like don't play the excess, the predictable things like m- when you're playing a chord, make it interesting, you know, like add sustains and all these different things that can make a song interesting other than the predictable um I like on guitar, you would call these like zombie chords, like playing the standard like major A, major G, major C, where you you're basically getting like a very generic song, like make it fresh playing a, a different like um musical key for instance or even mix them up if you listen to giant steps by John Coltrane oh my goodness great song. incredible horrifying
1: <laughs> yes horrifying great word
0: because he's playing in three three different keys that don't mesh together at all in an extremely fast time and when you listen to the i forgot who's on the piano but him trying to keep up with coltrane is impossible he's like stumbling over the the keys and you just can you can imagine him hesitating trying to keep up with that saxophone and it's just wow being in those rooms with those guys must have been absolutely crazy
1: and these guys they practiced for 13, 15 hours a day. Practice, not even perform. Like, that's how they did this. That's how they broke music in the 40s and 50s. That's how they broke what was before them. They, they just practiced and developed new sounds. And, like I said, all to how we kind of opened up this progressive jazz era, it was like this was happening when nobody was even talking about it or thinking about it, you know, in their early 40s during the war. No. Like, people didn't have time to look at this. And th- I think that's really important for cultural move. That's an important lesson from this to apply to any cultural movement, whether it's an art movement, a music movement, um, a civil rights movement, even, or just whatever, is that it, it's going to have its beginnings in a garage. You know, That's the cliche. It's going to have its beginnings in a place that's not desirable, where you're not getting attention. And these guys, that's how they developed this. And that's how they got onto the scene eventually and got their break because they're practicing 13, 15 hours a day. And you just described, you know, what they were doing. They were doing the unpredictable, the innovative, um, the horrifically innovative. (laughs) Um, It's all because they, they loved what they were doing. And they started when they weren't getting attention for it. And they got pushed back for it, you know they just got better at what they were doing. They didn't stop. I think that's the key lesson is whatever movement really makes it big. You can trace it back to the beginning and say that somebody didn't stop when they could have. And that's what Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Dave Brubeck, you know, that's what they did. They didn't stop.
0: No. And they just took it one step further each time. It's, it's crazy. You think like Louis Armstrong, for example, I mean, he had, he had a, a nice, Significance even post-war, because he was still putting out music and and being a, a singer and, a, and all that.
1: Exactly, yeah. I was going to say he started singing and you know he started playing with singers too, like Ella Fitzgerald, and you know he didn't stop either. It's a great point.
0: Yeah, he um he had a medical condition because of playing so much that his lips were like basically as coarse as leather and were like breaking open and things like that.
1: Just amazing it's an amazing example of what it took to create progressive jazz you know it's not just like i said at the beginning it's not just your grandfather's music like this came from pioneers and i think that's that's great too because it adds to my my one of my first points or my first points that jazz is distinctly american and Very. it's incredibly di- incredibly diverse it's not predictable oh, no. and it, the reason why it's not predictable is because of what happened in progressive jazz You know, what happened in the 30s, that was still jazz, without a doubt. But it's a little more predictable. But these guys added something that, again, exploded.
0: A lot of what they were doing is, I guess, what you would call by today's standards, like a well-made play, where it's like, you know, like your climax resolution, the whole nine yards is very predictable. Everything is safe in musicals and, and things like that. For some reason, I really want to talk with somebody who knows uh, musicals. Nico Raymond, if you're listening, I'm coming for you next. But um, especially in in what they call like the golden age of Hollywood, you had like a lot of like an uh, Irish American actors and actresses. Like the the music was very safe, very you know straight, predictable, and so were, so was the music even in like the big band spectrum. For the most part, you know, like even even though they're they're great songs and everything, you still get a hint of that safety, you know, like guy loves girl, guy wins girl for the most part. In like your the mainstream jazz music in around the World War Two era, but you go back a little bit into the 30s and people are sad, and then you go back into the 50s and again we start dealing with those some of those somber tones again because. There's there's a calling for that, but in the middle of World War II, people needed some motivation. People needed that the songs of like, man, when I get back home, it's gonna be great, and I'm gonna get home to my my loving wife. You guys watch, we're gonna win the wars. Uh, praise the Lord, pass the ammunition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs>
0: literally in the mood,
1: you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. are you in the mood? Yeah, I'm in the mood, and that's a Hoppin' song. Very much, you know? Or, like, it's not not Moonlight Serenade.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But even then, you think, like, you know, um, I'm getting sentimental over you type of thing. Like, everybody's like in this daydream of like hope at that Mm -hmm. point. Like, smack in the middle of of World War II, everybody wants that feel good, you know, encouragement.
1: So, so what do you think was going through? Or what do you think? What what the music that Charlie Parker and Miles Davis were developing, and then got on the scene in the late '40s. You know, the war's over; everybody's back home now. Um, and yet, you know,
0: they're still producing like somber music here and there.
1: Well, no, no, I wasn't going to say. Oh. I'm talking about their bebop music, <laughs> yeah. you know,
0: I like their um, fast paced stuff.
1: Yeah, because in my mind, you know, it the fast pace really caught on at the end of the war, like immediately '45. You know, it's there. Um. Uh-huh but it, it was it became mainstream you know early to mid 50s you have you know Miles Davis you know producing all these great albums and you know in the 50s and you know it kind of i felt like dies down again in the 60s Bill Evans like made a lot of his somber you know albums then too who's probably one of the most somber pianists you know and think in this area of jazz but going back to my original question so you know what do you think was going through Miles Davis's and Charlie Parker's and John Coltrane's mind when they were making their fast stuff in the late forties, mid early fifties
0: to give you an umbrella and to close it in as I go. I'm going to say civil rights at the very beginning. I'm going to say that the, the reason that it was so serious is because they wanted like world war II. We had integrated infantries immediately after that, we had this movement away from jazz music for predominantly like um, white audiences. And now you're starting to shift into like rock and roll and all that stuff. And on the counterculture, you have like the the beatnik movement, and you have all these these poets and surrealists and artists that are in futurist that are pushing all these new avant-garde art styles and musical fortes. And I think these people wanted to be heard as serious artists. Um, this, this concept is what they described um, Alfred Hitchcock in the sixties. He was like a film artur or like a film artist. And so all of these musicians were also supposed to be seen as very serious artists that should be held to a high standard of their of their art and their voice and i think that's why you start to also see melancholy themes into the 60s but like right after the war i think that the reason that you start getting bebop jazz is because you have all this energy from the from the triumph of world war Two, and now it's big and boisterous and so for bebop jazz you have all this potential energy and you got to put it into something so then you you put it into your music and now you have this strong thing and it's like wow these people took it very seriously and wanted to to show how extravagant that they were with their their voice and their instrumentation that's what i think i think
1: that's, I think that's what I, i've been beginning to think also is that you know these guys they a lot of the artistic expression was because I think of the civil rights movement too. And I don't have much to go on there, but at least that's what I like to think you know, <laughs> because yeah. I think that's the explanation I come to because it's almost like we had the war and, you know, I think a lot of the white America was like, well, yeah, the war is, the war is one time for suburban life. But I think the African American yeah. community was still like, we, Hey, what, what are you talking about? Like, you know, we still got, We still got stuff that we need to fight for back home. Right. You know, there's
0: there's still segregation. And even though they were you had integrated infantries, I think that there was still more to be done in terms of civil rights for African Americans post war.
1: Absolutely. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't even have his I I have a dream speech yet.
0: No, that would be into the sixties.
1: Yeah, we're 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 a decade or before that. You know, so I would also, you know, like to say that I think jazz and it's, be, you know, it's getting up there in notoriety for this is that it was the civil rights movement. It was part of it.
0: Yeah.
1: And people didn't realize that, or I feel like I, no, I didn't realize that growing up, you know, I've been playing this stuff for a long time, but I think my cultural awareness has grown that I think bebop jazz specifically forties, fifties jazz that everybody just knows is jazz. You know, when, Barry B Benson goes, "You like jazz? Like this is, I think, the <laughs> jazz people are thinking of." Yeah, you know, this Miles he Davis, really think
0: John beatniks, movement.
1: and you know, I definitely think that it's in my mind, it's part of the civil rights movement because of all this energy, and then you see that cascaded into, you know, the, the lasting changes that started to be made in the late '50s, '60s, and '70s yeah. with the actual civil rights.
0: Even in your your singers, you know you have like your Etta James and Nina Simone, and albeit even Louis Armstrong. You listen to some of the the songs that they're singing, and it has huge undertones. If it isn't drawn out, obviously for civil rights type of things. They there's an album that I am a big fan of right now, and it's called Louis Armstrong and the Good Book. And there's one song in there that if you listen to it very carefully, you can interpret it in two different lenses. So there's a a song called Go Down Moses. And this is a song that was used in the Underground Railroad to kind of guide African Americans out away from slavery. And in the song you can interpret it at face value and say yes this is a song about Moses challenging Pharaoh to let his people go exodus that story but at the same time he he doesn't just say like tell old pharaoh let my people go he says tell old pharaohs let my people go like oppressors you know white slave owners type of thing that's kind of the message that we're getting at here is that you can white audiences would appreciate it because it's safe, but at the same time it's it's empowering for African American peoples, especially during that time. So there was a lot going yeah. on that people weren't paying attention to or it was going right over their head.
1: And I think it just all goes back to the point you made about jazz being serious. I think in my mind, looking at it through the civil rights lens and African American empowerment, you know, and overcoming the injustice in American society after the war, you know, it just adds a little more seriousness and a, a lot more meaning in my mind, a lot more appreciation that I have for it beyond, beyond just the facial value of what these people were doing, you know, with music. It just, you know, I definitely think it, it was part of the civil rights movement and why America changed so much. Again, yeah. I think it's that, that word, that phrasing used the potential energy. That's what I think of when I listen to Miles Davis and his fast songs potential energy there's just a lot of energy a lot of movement almost like orchestrated chaos but a lot of a lot of change happened from it both from a musical standpoint and a cultural standpoint it's it's just great like how could you not love this music
0: you ever created yeah go ahead i was gonna say you ever create a um, playlist on i've asked adam the same question i'm so sorry but have you ever created a playlist to accentuate the mood
1: yes i actually just did (laughs)
0: <laughs> like, uh, for example, a playlist to make you feel good or a, a playlist that you would use if you if you need a lot of energy or you're mad or for some, like, they'll even create a, a playlist when they're feeling down just to help get them through it, cathartic expression.
1: Yeah. That's sure. kind of...
0: Yeah, so, like, um, what I'm getting at is, like, these were songs to to push that movement these were songs to encapsulate that theme and to get people mixed in that emotion like that that potential energy doing something with it and and really putting it into an artistic form of expression i think that's what that really was in in full circle basically
1: yeah and whether they are conscious of it or not you know yeah i feel like you know, maybe it's because we're not living during that time, but you look back at these guys and their mind was on the music, but Uh you know, maybe their emotions were, were placed into the civil rights movement.
0: Everyone's a product of their time.
1: Right. About integration too. You know, you start to see, um, I feel like these, these small jazz ensembles, you know, uh, integrate, you know, racially like the Dave Brubeck quartet. um,
0: Eugene Wright yeah he passed away recently i believe i think he died this year yeah yeah he was the last
1: surviving member yeah
0: dang you were a student of dave brubeck the other dave brubeck i believe right
1: yes so fun fact about me so i play trombone i've i've played um an orchestra, I've played in concert band, wind ensemble, I've played in brass quartet, I've played jazz, I've played Miles Davis's music, and a bunch of other the people we're talking about. And in orchestra, my orchestra director is actually a cousin of uh, Dave Brubeck, the one that we're talking about. His name mm-hmm. is Dave Brubeck, too. They're both named Dave Brubeck.
0: It's, um, <laughs> it's complicated.
1: But, yeah, it's complicated. Uh, but he actually <laughs> looks just like him. The, only, the, the way you find him is you type in Dave Brubeck trombone on Google and then you could find him. Uh, and then he, he has actually,
0: a son, doesn't he? Who's also a musician.
1: He has two sons. They're both musicians. They're both in grade school and they're both in an orchestra, which I'm a board of trustee member for, for the orchestra that he, he directs.
0: That's wonderful.
1: So I'm a huge proponent of this little sidebar, but uh, I'm a huge proponent of youth music. It changed my life being an orchestra and all the stuff I did when I was younger. Music's um, good,
0: play music, learn, pick up an instrument.
1: In the words of my Dave Brubeck, not the jazz artist, he said the best thing about, like, I don't know, sometimes, you know, in middle school and high school, sometimes they don't have the best attitudes, you know, high schoolers and middle schoolers. You know, why am I here on Monday night at 9 p.m. practicing for orchestra? Dr. Brubeck uh, got up and said, he's like, do you realize what you guys are in? You guys are inside the, the radio jukebox. You guys are inside the jukebox. Like, this is as good as it gets. And what he meant by that is like when you're playing in an orchestra, or ensemble, or whatever you know, rock band, or whatever you play, you're inside the the jukebox. You know, you get, it's such a treat to be able to listen and play because you know when you're playing, the best musicians they're listening to what the other musicians do, try to match that or try to improvise off of that. Just we're talking about with Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock earlier.
0: That would rock my socks to talk to him, to to meet. Not Dave Brubeck, but Dave Brubeck enough to be Dave. Yeah. Brubeck.
1: Next, I don't know when they're going. The author Krishna is going to have another concert. I'll for sure try to slide you an invite, Mister Mike.
0: Absolutely. I like oh, jazz. Thanks. Yes. I like jazz. I'm a, I'm your average jazz enthusiast. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Speaking of uh, even jazz, okay, so we we covered like mostly everything that there is to say about the 50s and the 60s. I guess what you could say is like after you get out of the 60s and into the 70s you start getting those things you were talking about like jazz fusion and you start mixing it with disco and and r&b and you kind of get like hints of that
1: explosion i love that word explosion because like that's what it was Jazz, even in
0: rap musicians hip-hop and rap musicians sampled a lot of those come from jazz yeah so mm-hmm. that's where jazz kind of is, today. but also, like you were saying, there are jazz musicians that are emerging and and creating work, and um, I guess like two of your more iconic people are um, Tony Bennett, who unfortunately is going into retirement very soon, but he and Lady Gaga, you know, they would
1: fun fact. I want to say awesome. I, I was figuring as figuring for as trying to figure out where I could fit this in. But I'm not sure if you wear this. But one of my favorite Dave Brubeck albums to listen to, again, we're back to the jazz. Dave Brubeck, um, excellent. Is he did a duo concert with Tony Bennett at the JFK White House? The oh. JFK White House, I think, in 19. I don't know if you heard this album, but it's the I'll send it to you after. This, but it's the Brubeck Bennett, um, duo, and the JFK, the JFK administration invited both of them. To come do a duo concert um, at the White House to celebrate their summer interns. So must have been they, nice. <laughs> they, they did a live concert at the uh, White JFK White House, and it's like when I first figured when I first discovered, I was like shook because I'm like Dave Rubeck never performed a vocalist ever. No, but he did, he did it with Tony Bennett, and yeah, maybe you could listen add some of the tracks to one of our playlists here on Bootleggers Broadcast.
0: Have you ever heard Vince Guaraldi with his with songs like um
1: Little Birdie? And Oh my um, gosh, he's such a great singer. That's Little him. Birdie. I know.
0: It's that's him a- singing. I didn't know it was him singing. I thought it was the guy from Schoolhouse Rock or something.
1: Little Birdie is such a groovy song. Dave, I know Dave Dirty Dave, Dave the or Dumpster, Joe cool. Dr. Dump. Yeah. I know Dave. Uh, he he listens to these podcasts, so I'm going to shout him out here. But him really? and I love "Little Birdie."
0: That's a great song. It's such Mr. a Mr. Vince Guaraldi is so cool.
1: Yeah, and you know what I was going to I wanted to say this earlier when we started Talk to him, but we got somewhere else that was important. But um, you know he he had such an interesting relationship with jazz. Like a lot of what his early work was was bossa nova jazz, which is its yeah. own left field corner of this whole greater conversation that's um, even
0: more serious jazz than than bebop i would argue
1: exactly you know we haven't even talked about it till now but vince Guaraldi was before he got with the peanuts was doing a lot of bossa nova uh bossa stuff and it's really great music you can find some of his earlier albums um but his yeah like song, kind of about Cast
0: your fate to the wind was like his his big thing before he got into the and it wasn't
1: bossa. It, no, wasn't it wasn't Bossa, and that's, that's what, you know, he, he kind of just wrote that song and did it. And um, that's what got that was... the Peanuts gig. That's what got him the Peanuts gig, you know? Crazy how he just was able to pivot from Bossa, wrote this one song on a whim, and then he became probably almost eternally famous, you know, just shy of eternity, you know, <laughs> uh, famous for the Peanuts stuff. That stuff is never going to go away. It's extremely iconic. Yeah, um, and just how different it is from bossa. You know, it just shows you the, the versatility that these musicians had. That not only were they expressing themselves, they were they had the ability to be so versatile and what kind of music they, they did in their technical ability alone.
0: Do you would have your Quincy Jones and your um, like Walter Wanderley and and musicians like that for bossa? And even in, like, jazz still was the gold standard for what you would hear in nightclubs, like lounge lizards, lounge jazz, things like that. You're more so easy listening, or I guess that's how it became, air quotes, elevator music. Like Miles Davis,
1: blue and green, you know, was your lounge club.
0: For sure. And so, like, jazz was the American staple, even so.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting distinction, you know. The lighter music... Was kind of more mainstream, but the you know the, the the more tonal jazz or modal jazz was started to catch on in the nightclub scene, you know, in the '50s and '60s. Bebop kind of went away a little, but you have this more modal jazz, you know, Blue and Green, I think, dropped to 1959. You know, it's about kind of similar to kind of similar to the '30s how we were talking about earlier. We kind of had this wave of melancholy. To jazz and how my, again, speaking to Miles Davis's ability to pivot and express a whole different mood, you know, in blue and green compared to his earlier albums, you know, where he was made, where he made himself famous on bebop jazz, you know, now he was doing modal and tonal jazz, you know, with the muted trumpet. Everybody loves the muted trumpet. I sure do.
0: (laughs) I have an important question that we can definitely go back and forth on, but I don't think there's a right answer for this. Shoot. So you have important jazz-related films and pop culture references, such as uh, Whiplash. You have La La Land and Soul, for example. These are all jazz-centric films that have came out in recent history. And at the same time, we, like you were mentioning earlier on Spotify, you have all of these artists in uh bebop and and casual easy listening jazz and things like that do you think jazz itself not so much as a fusion but like the heart of jazz itself can stand on its own two feet and and really take front and center like it did in yesteryear
1: that's a (laughs) the fan in me wants to say yes and it always has been like it's front and center in my world every day you know (laughs) um but you know the realist to me is like i don't know you know and i think i think that's interesting you know of all the things that we talked about in the different eras of jazz you know and how it's kind of swung on this pendulum if you will kind of chaotic and fast-paced in the 20s full of energy and then we had this slow melancholy tonal stuff in the 30s and then we're back to this energy in the civil rights movement miles davis and john coltrane and charlie parker and then we're back to this modal nightclub lounge jazz of Miles Davis and the, you know, the groundbreaking album Blue and Green, you know, in the late 50s and 60s. If you go back to those times where, the, where things changed, you know, at the turn of those decades, and you ask that question, you know, will X music be at the forefront? Nobody knows the answer to that question because whatever they were doing kind of in its own way was never done before. But it doesn't mean it wasn't experienced before. Like the, the, the expression, the emotion, the sadness, or the excitement, or the energy.
0: I guess it takes different forms experience. after a while, yeah.
1: So I think yeah. it's a combination. To Long story short, again, we can go back and forth. But I think the, the initial answer is, I don't really know if jazz has a musical, unchangeable definition to it. The only thing that I think jazz is defined by is swing. You know, does it swing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's jazz because there's so many different moods and expressions through jazz fusion, through bebop jazz, through tonal jazz, modal jazz, um, Dixieland. You know, I think jazz music can come back to the front and center, but I can't tell you what it's going to sound like. Right. It's going to draw, it will draw from inspiration from the decades and centuries before it. It will. But I don't think it will sound exactly like what Miles Davis made. I don't think it will sound no. exactly like what Jaco Pastorius did in the 70s in jazz fusion. It won't be like Django Reinhardt. Exactly. So I think yes, to answer your question, jazz can and maybe even will come back to the forefront very soon. Maybe in the next five or ten years, I think so. Maybe it won't be the leading genre. Um, maybe it'll be you know top two or three genres. But the th- the caveat is, is I can't tell you what it's going to sound like because I think just just swing is fundamental to jazz the other thing fundamental to jazz is that it sounds different than what is already out there so whatever we're going to hear is that if jazz does make it to the forefront i can't tell you what it's going to sound like yeah. because it's going to be jazz it's going to be different new
0: whenever you have um a mainstream culture you usually have like a counterculture that goes along with it and and sub genres of other countercultures so traditionally speaking your Um, Your pop culture and top 40s are traditionally music that embodies the soul, I guess you could say, you know, like your Motown rhythm and blues top 40s is usually very easy listening kind of like that. Um, When you get into your counterculture, it's usually more aggressive, more coarse. So your rock and roll music into classic rock. And things like that. And then of course, country music kind of stands on its own two feet as another sub genre, except for the nineties, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> than it was the
1: Yes, pop it culture. was very different than the nineties. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Right now, the if you took those three themes and you put them today, it still stands true. Pop culture is still rhythm and blues, sort of. Hip hop, rhythm and blues, things like that is still and folk in the top 40s scene in your counterculture it's it's indie music for the most part which is the fusion of of rock and bluegrass and then country music is country music starting to go back into outlaw country music gradually and so there you go you have those three things but a new counterculture from that has emerged because independent artists on band camp um and on YouTube and just independent things in general have emerged and created these things called soundscapes. The first soundscape I can think of was this video that I, I saw on a whim on YouTube because meme culture is very big and it's what our generation likes. How and... people
1: find out things these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, very much. Um, there There was one where it was like, Um, point of view you're sitting on your back porch you're in like and you're on this nice cabin and you're listening to john denver's country roads (laughs) and it's like you hear like a little neon light from the street light Mm -hmm. and like you got that audio playing from like a radio across the room and stuff like that and you create a little soundscape with that being said you have that and you have all these genres of I guess what you'd call like dialects of uh, vaporwave and, and down-tempo and lo-fi. And jazz kind of sits there. Jazz exists in that genre. Maybe it's because it was the safe, easy listening music that you would find in mall shop, uh, you know, soundscapes. Jazz is still there. Jazz is still alive. And jazz exists especially through Leyland Kirby's The Caretaker, which if you haven't heard that, don't because you'll be sad but it's great at the same time do listen to it but also
1: don't or just watch and, my well, short I'm, film it's quite the paradox
0: <laughs> <laughs> very much just just watch my short film on Friday you'll know what I'm talking about oh
1: I mean, does it drop on Friday? it does oh big, big bet I'm about, I know well, what I'm going to be doing on Friday
0: <laughs> August 13th 2021 basically it, whenever this thing comes out it will probably I'll probably release this after the film comes out,
1: but well, just for my record. Well, how can I watch your film?
0: Oh yeah, it's on it's on YouTube. I'll I'll send you a link. It's also on my Instagram. Excited. (laughs) It's a good one. I think it's uh, pretty good. Basically, the the point of that was I took old jazz music and I slowed it down and I added some reverb and I I did all these distortion effects to it instead of it being like the original purpose of the old jazz music it it becomes kind of like this nightmarish uneasy feeling as you would midnight the stars in you in the context of the shining versus its original use (laughs) if that made sense
1: yeah yeah well i think popular jazz you know everything i said earlier well that applies to popular jazz i think that the the new undercurrent of artistic expression is this where you take music maybe from the 1930s and you add emotional, if you will, effects to it like reverb, echoes to give it a certain feel you want. Like You can make it a haunting
0: the- like that. Or alternatively you can do the same thing with Vaporwave where if you slow it down a bit and in, add some more yeah. echo to it, you make it painfully nostalgic.
1: You're in a you're in a bathroom at 2008 party you know right <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah yeah and it's playing mr brightside and you're crying because your prom exactly. date left you or something exactly like whatever that soundscape is it
1: gets so descriptive sometimes i'm like i feel uncomfortable like this person's yeah. going inside my nostalgia like this it's is like, not
0: did, did some did this happen to somebody
1: yeah too descriptive like exactly like boy my heart goes out to whoever's prom date left. you know
0: like... I literally could create one that's like um, POV you're at a roller rink and you're listening to um, you spin me by yeah. uh, the flow Rider version
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's 2010 or like black eyed peas or something I'm gonna do yeah. that after this eventually <laughs> I need to <laughs> make soundscapes
1: yeah you should you'd be really great at it thanks Mason and I consume said soundscapes
0: it, um, I I love soundscapes. Those are fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know where you're going with that point, but I just think it's just important to note for us and the audience. I think that jazz will never go away in that regard because people are going to take, you know, part of what innovation is, is taking what already exists and making it new. And that's what soundscapes are doing with old jazz. Like, I think one of the very first ones, soundscapes that I came across was like Tom and Jerry napping. Or like, no, not, oh. not Jerry. Tom like napping on a couch and it's like, like those you're are in Nemo another room
0: aren't they
1: yeah yeah like yeah. you're in another room and your oldies are playing and it's raining outside mm-hmm. on the back porch and it gets just overly complicated nice. but like it's still like oldies music it's still tommy dorsey and glenn miller and so forth you know um
0: i thought of an important one yeah you ever play fallout or bioshock
1: yeah bioshock i've not but i've listened to their stuff and uh but i've played fallout for sure
0: So there's a juxtaposition there too, right? So you have like all these old jazz themes that kind of go along with the the themes of what they're going with. So like Fallout embodies retrofuturism put in like 2200 AD where the hypothetical timeline is in 2080 The United States and China go to war with each other, and uh, nuclear bombs are dropped across the country. And it's like 200 years after that, and somehow you have all these these pre-war relics of like circa 1950s futuristic America. And of that, you have music that embodies that too. And a lot of their music that they put in either deals with like nuclear power or like being a wanderer yeah being a wanderer or even women that are like go against like the damsel in distress thing like like tough women
1: yeah i'd be playing fall and i'm like no way this song like actually was made in 1943 and like it was like you go look and you're like okay wow
0: bioshock's (laughs) the same way it's like coarse attitude people and like other than that rosy
1: huge glass of nostalgia you know because of the feel that that the music invokes oh this is safe it's 1933 you know style music this is grandpa music in his old car you know it's like
0: and then you listen to it and it's like wait what what is uh butcher pete
1: yeah exactly or like
0: rocket 69 or something
1: yeah like i think if jazz ever makes it to the popular like top 100 charts it's going to be as i described it earlier like something new throw maybe throw back to old stuff but it's going to be something new, and it's going to swing because that's what jazz has always been, or at least when jazz was popular, when it would be on the top 100s, it was new. It's always something new. But I think the counterculture where jazz will be popular and make its name is through what we've been talking about the past, you know, five or eight minutes is nostalgia. Nostalgia is the ticket. Everybody wants to be nostalgic. I didn't live in 1930, neither did you, but. No. Glenn Miller's songs are never going to go away because they're nostalgic. And whether that's people, you know, putting aftermarket parts on them, if you will, you know, by adding reverb or trying to elicit some kind of environment or make some kind of make somebody feel some kind of way, um, <laughs> or they just want to listen to it to feel nostalgic. I think that's where why jazz will never go away, but Glenn Miller's song will never be hitting the top 10 charts again, you know, Yeah, There's... but it's always going to exist. There's a
0: thing called assemblage theory, and the idea is you can take something from any time period and present it to a new audience, and they'll interpret it differently every single time. Our generation's going to interpret Glenn Miller music different from the next generation, and they'll interpret it different from the generation following it, and so on and so forth for eternity. Um, the, The meaning will change every time because of socioeconomic differences, technological differences, conversations, and all sorts of different things. The, the point that I'm getting at here is that um, we can, we can take those old Glenn Miller songs and, and Tommy Dorsey and Artie Shaw and all that, and we can look at it differently today through the scope of like fallout and Bioshock, you know, it would, it would look and feel differently than if we looked at it through a lens of being a, an American citizen in 1940s America Mm-hmm. is is kind of the point so like
1: for sure yeah so the case in point is the soundscapes yeah we're looking at it not as an expression of the great depression but we're actually looking at glenn miller music as happy like i'm home i'm safe i'm cozy but as we talked about way back in the beginning is you know that music was written to kind of invoke like hey like brother can you spare a dime you know like it mm-hmm. was a sad melancholy music because of the great depression so you know, that's a great observation. Something you, you probably the, learned in the classroom <laughs> and applied <laughs> to this to this podcast.
0: Yes, actually. Did you um you ever hear the song Um It's Been a Long, Long Time?
1: Yeah, of course. Isn't that the song that plays at the end of the Avengers most yes. recent movie? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the original reason that song existed was supposed to be like American troops getting home. From the war and getting home to like their their fiancés and you know starting a family and and finally they're back home after serving on in their tour of duty in in Europe and Japan and now they can finally have that warm beautiful relationship that they've been wanting for so long and in the case of the Avengers, it's like, you know, spoiler, but. You know, Captain America is finally back home from time traveling to his fiance, wife, woman.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a it's a great point because you know, and I think as much as where I want to see jazz go in the next five years, you know, new popular jazz, what is it gonna sound like? You know, because and I don't think
0: it's gonna be as memorable. Because it's exactly. it's not it's not the pop culture unless there's a demand for it where where people all of a sudden, like as a collective society, we drop everything and drop the natural progress of music evolution and go, we need to go back to jazz right now. Because it, it we we evolved past it. We're yeah, we're kind of in a new swing of things. No pun intended.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. But the point that I that I wanted to make was you know, it'd be interesting to see where does Glenn Miller's or 1930s music or night Miles Davis's bebop music, where does that go, you know, from here too? Because it's definitely going someplace, contrary mm-hmm. to popular belief. Like, just as you mentioned, your theory, your theory of, you know, each generation is going to interpret something different, you know, the same piece of music differently. And, you know, this kind of just goes back to, well, it's probably going to be a product of where we are socially, economically,
0: I I get mixed emotions on this one but like there's a thing electro swing like caravan palace where they take samples from 1940s music and they put electronica into it and they make it something new and alternatively what you can do is you have like all of these historical documentaries and things like that but in order for jazz music to be successful you have to have a gimmick there has to be some kind of novelty and appeal to make jazz um come back to life and and come to front and center again like not to say that we would have to hit like a you know another great depression in order for sad jazz music to be the most important thing right now but you you would have you'd have no choice but to do something like a, a soundscape or to tie that together with some kind of artistic movement Where jazz music becomes popular again, and until then, you're you're gonna have no choice but to listen to the old stuff, and and you know that's that's that until you have composers who are pushing something really interesting.
1: Yeah, Uh, and then there's me, where (laughs) where I I find like songs on YouTube that have like three views and stuff like that. I'm like, no, that's that's me too. You know, whenever
0: there's fall for instance i go and i listen to this live stream where it's i mean granted it's royalty free like jazz music whatever but it's like fall themed jazz music to 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 enjoy your weekend or something like that and then like the video is like a a suitcase Crosley vinyl record player with a loop image of like a coffee cup with the steam coming out of it and like the record spinning around, and it's playing like this ambient jazz with fall leaves in the background and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's cozy. It's nice. But the appeal to that is you're bringing in people that comforting old timey feeling of Americana because jazz is Americana. Jazz is post World War II even, and therefore it is also by extension your Norman Rockwell realism art, and it's the old time feeling, and that's what we think when we think of um homey lifestyle we think a bit of rural we think of that old ford f-100 pickup truck with the tree in it like all that stuff and therefore why we I, <laughs> well this kills my other podcast idea but this is why christmas music is the you know jazz music from the 40s it's the old time feeling
1: so, yeah, long story short, I think we arrived at our conclusion of the point you made of, you know, how does our generation interpret jazz? You know, I yeah. think that's a great place to end it. it. It's jazz doesn't really. So like on your you know, other podcast, you may ask, well, what's the future of X genre? Well, maybe it's more appropriate for this podcast where we're talking about jazz is how does this generation interpret jazz? Yeah. And it's just, as you said, like it's homey you know, you're at home, you're safe. You know, it's funny, which was once not safe music, you know, was the cultural <laughs> phenomenon that was part of the civil rights movement um, is actually now the safe music. And that goes to the very first, you know, one of the very first points I made was, you know, when you just show the average layperson a jazz song, like even a Miles Davis fast-paced song or Giant Steps, you know, by John Coltrane, like, they're going to be like, oh, that's like old jazz music, you know? Like, that's what they would say. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because it's it's not really something that they would cr- cringe or have a frown to because, you know, it's not like it's unpleasant, you know? it's yeah. That's just old, old-time jazz music. That's how our yeah. current culture interprets that. Or it may have been different when it first came on the scene.
0: Jazz music, once upon a time, was like, This is the like they looked at it like how we look at top 40s. Like, well, yeah, duh, that's the hot music that's playing right now. Why would it not be playing everywhere? But now, we when once we hear like those horns and everything, we're like, yeah, that was that was when America flexed its muscles around World War II. Like, this was when America wanted to boast around this imperialistic global power that it was becoming and emerging into what would soon become the cold war like this was this was capitalism this was americana this was like we we just you know conquered imperialist japan and nazi germany and uh you know took over italy again away from its fascist dictatorship with benito mussolini
1: yeah i mean jazz jazz and jazz was a part of american culture before the war yeah it developed in a different way during the war And after the war, like most things American, it was distributed among nations. That's why jazz will always be distinctly American for many different ways. Yeah. Civil rights, post war America, and you know, cultural distribution.
0: Yeah. Basically, long story short, jazz is jazz is timeless. Jazz will always be an American thing and it will always represent like the air quotes the happy times and glory days of america albeit
1: even though it wasn't when it first came on the scene yeah in a lot of instances. granted <laughs> see how nostalgia you know kind of changes things and i think mm-hmm. that's the whole point of the fall of video game series is you know it,
0: it's like things weren't
1: always so good before the war you know yeah even though they exactly. thought they were
0: it's it's like the whole idea of wearing like rose-colored glasses and looking back on the times, right? Like we like to think of it as like, these were better times. Oh, I, I what I would do to live in, you know, X time era. And then you listen to some of those music and, and you hear some of those undertones and and lyricism. And you go like, wait a minute, why is everybody sad? Yeah. You know like these this was the era when they were glorifying gangsters who were you know looting and and like robbing banks and they were making newsreels out of it like people were cheering for Bonnie and Clyde like these were the heroes of the Great Depression, and so the music that was equally sad, like people were rooting for that too, because it said that's me,
1: yeah. I like what you said. Long story short, jazz will always be that America's great, that you know, nostalgic feeling. Yeah. No, it'll be, maybe, maybe we'll be wrong, Mike. Maybe, maybe something will happen in the next ten years where we're wrong about jazz.
0: Watch no. how literally next week it'll be like jazz is in. Everybody likes jazz now. Well, that would be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I would not be opposed. You never know. I I feel like if if like COVID is to stay around for X amount of time, and people are going to be going through the motions, like we we hear melancholy music through folk, on the, within the top forties, then I feel like blues roots and by extension jazz music may sur- surface again, as well.
1: But yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. But that was a great talk, Mike.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Jazz jazz will always be nostalgic. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. I don't see that going away.
0: No, I don't either. I think I think jazz is here to stay. As always, thank you all for your continuous support and thank you for listening to Bootleggers broadcast. Feel free to listen to our selection of playlist from yesteryear and keep in touch through linktree.com slash bootlegger broadcast. Have a wonderful evening and a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks, Mason.
1: Yeah, dude.